Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. And whenever you are listening to this and from wherever, we wish you health, safety, and happiness. Regardless of when you're listening to this, we are likely still uh, dealing with the, uh, the pandemic here. Um, we happen to be recording this on Election Day. And so whenever you're listening to this and however that has turned out, uh, we wish foremost before any of the stuff that we're going to be talking about that your family is doing well and that you are doing well as parents uh, so that we can be strong uh, in all aspects of that word uh, to be there for our parents um, and kids. Um, so we are excited today to share this discussion uh, with Jeannie Cheng, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and the founder of the Your Change Provider uh, Group, PLLC, um, and somebody who's extremely active within our community. So glad you're joining us. Thank you for joining us. And to introduce our guests more formally is Cheng. So welcome, Jeannie. Um, I have to say that, hi, um, I have to say that I've been uh, waiting for this moment. <laughs> um, I've been wanting Jeannie to be on our podcast for for a long time, but I had to save it for this episode because this this is exactly um, the reason that I wanted her in here right before Thanksgiving. Um, but Jeannie, uh, um, um, as uh, in addition to being a um, uh, marriage and family counseling uh, therapist, I know you have a lot of hats that you wear. So could you please introduce yourself to us? Tell us about yourself, your family, and also your work. Sure. Um, and thank you so much for such a warm greeting, both of you. Uh, super excited to be here and, and talk about probably a favorite topic of mine, right? Korean American parenting. A little bit about me. I I call myself a second generation Korean American. I my private practice, your change provider. I I named it that, or I called it that because I love providing change, especially in families. And we'll talk more about what that looks like. But I also call it an, an interdisciplinary practice because you're right. I do wear a lot of hats. I think it comes from my my diverse business background because I didn't start off my career in mental health. I started off in broadcast journalism. So that's probably why I love podcasts, right? And and I really enjoyed that work, but I left the field of broadcasting when I was living in Washington, D.C. for family reasons, where uh, in, in all honesty, I think I was thinking back then in my early 20s about mental health without really knowing it. I was not happy. I, I enjoyed my work when I was there, but when I left it, I felt lost, which is very interesting, right? So very, at a young age, I was burned out by the time I was like 24. And I didn't think that was normal. So I thought, you know what? If I keep this up, I'm not going to be happy. And that was probably the beginning of my mental health journey, which is why I think today I'm very passionate about work, you know, a corporate workspace, but I, it was a very toxic workspace, but I left it 
much to the chagrin of my parents who were like, who wanted to brag about me as the number one, you know, Korean American journalist. But anyways, I, I did what any other Korean American would do, um, try to find another path. And I went, you know what, I'll just go to business school. So that's what I did to look good. Uh, and really, it was about building my resume. I didn't really have an interest in business. Hello, I came from the world of journalism and writing and, and speaking. So I decided to do that to, to look good and just do the right thing of, and, you know, making sure my parents weren't worried. And when I went to business school, I was pretty much miserable, but I finished it. That That is an important part of my journey because during that time I was raising three young kids. I, I delayed business school was probably four and a half year process instead of the normal two year process because I had kids every other semester. No, I'm exaggerating. I had kids every, every <laughs> other year. <laughs> I had kids every other year. But the whole point is that that journey during business school is is actually... The, the edge I have today, having my own practice, an entrepreneur, understanding business life. And then even after that, I worked in marketing for a little bit to prove that I was going to use my marketing degree. Uh, but again, I wasn't, it wasn't my passion. So in my early thirties, so obviously I'm older than that, but hopefully I sound young. No, I, uh, in my early thirties, I kind of went through this crisis of my kids are young, but they're soon be going to school and I want to do something with my life. And I really thought about what is my, I actually asked the questions I asked my clients today. I'm like, what am, what are my greatest strengths? Where do I shine? Where do, where do I find, find happiness? Those simple questions that even may not be typical in our Asian culture that I asked myself. And you know what? Mental health came to me. It just came to me as more like counseling, but then I went, looked into and did my research and I really identified with being a marriage and family therapist. So I pursued that with four very young kids. So, so I don't, when kids, people ask me, how'd you get through it? I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> I think I was in a fog uh, during graduate school the second time, but I did that here in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where I'm based. Um, and I had to go to the school that I had to really, obviously I was limited. You have to pick a school that I, didn't, I wasn't going to leave my kids and travel to, you know, an hour away. So I went locally, finished my degree, but even during graduate school, I got confirmation that this is what I'm meant to do because it was actually therapeutic. That's part of my story to go through graduate school for therapy and realize everything making sense in my family upbringing. I was like, oh, however, there were some gaps, right? Where the cultural competency was barely met, where I was like, the course on that was like, what? I, I, I'm Asian. And you guys talked about Asian families for like 15 minutes, right? We'll talk about that too. But I was so excited to actually finally process everything that I experienced in life and then be able to apply it to clients today. So now today, flash forward a certain amount of years. Um, so I don't divulge my age, but I have found that being Korean American or Asian American, and also being able to really uh, understand family life because I'm raising four kids by the way, they're ages 13, 16, 18, and 20. Uh, so a little crazy. And and then just really being passionate about my upbringing and applying that to my work today has brought me here. And so I use every, I've used all my career paths to be, I think what I would say, um, I guess, multidimensional, holistic, and effective today in my work. So that's a little that's bit about That's pretty me. amazing story. Um, I can't imagine going through two graduate school with four kids. Um, that's a determination. <laughs> um, well, you got through it. But I also um, so, um, you know, uh, jive with you in terms about your um you know, grad school being a therapy for you in some ways. Um, and that's how I feel about child and adolescent psychiatry, where I walked in and I was able to kind of look through my, 
my own upbringing and kind of make more sense out of it while I'm doing going through the training. Also about the cultural aspect of the training. Um, so that's one of the reasons that, um, you know, I'm very passionate about Asian American mental health uh, um, and um, promoting diversity and inclusion in within our field as well, because it's really lacking. And so yes. I can totally see where you're coming from. Although I have to say family work is really, really hard. <laughs> I think. Yeah. You know, and uh, that's interesting. You said that because I, I, I do kind of, I mentor a lot, right. With young Asian therapists, I want to help them. There's not enough of them. So I'm really trying to groom them as well. They say, yeah, I don't know if I want to go into family therapy. I'm like, why not? You know, I get all like defensive. I'm like, excuse me, we need more family therapists. If you're going to try to break cycles, right. Unhealthy mm-hmm. patterns in the Korean American family or Asian American family, but that's okay. It's not meant for everybody, but I tend to get energy with more people in the therapy room. That's just my personality. So one-on-one is fine, but if I'm treating a teen or a college student, you better believe one way or another, some parent's going to come in. Exactly. Obviously not against their wish. I'm not going to say I'm going to make your parents come in. No, but to help them, right? So you're right. Family work is definitely hard. And sometimes it can be triggering depending on who I'm working with, right? But yeah. So thank you. No, it's Um, actually a a much needed work, especially for Asian American families, because there's so much more... um, layers of immigration, acculturation, levels of acculturation within the family. I mean, there's so much. Um, And so I'm so happy to have you here today to talk (laughs) about that. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Yes, I could talk forever. So you can always stop me. Oh, well. Giving you a um, heads up now. If I go off on tangents. We're just going to have to have multiple sessions. But yeah. um, so one of one of the reasons that I was so excited to have you on board today um, is because, um, you know, one of the, um, the two, well, threefolds. One is um, as a Korean American um, here, you know, 1.5 second generation, I think we're in the middle of um, having a first generation parent and um, the younger children. And the family dynamic is so much different than, um, let's say, white white American families. And it, it's, it's very, um, taxing sometimes, uh, for, uh, for the families and, um, our listeners. So I want to talk about, um, what that is like. Um, also, um, you know, Thanksgiving coming up, holidays are coming up. It can be very, um, uh, tense moments, even though it's mm-hmm. a very happy moment as well. And when you're with family, especially with COVID, I think there's a lot of um, stress in that as well. So I want to talk sure. uh, talk about with you about what what you think about what is typical Korean American family dynamics, and then we can talk about the holidays. Sure. Yeah, I love holidays. Um, <clears throat> despite the the closeness to family, we'll talk about that. No, mm-hmm. cre- typical Korean family, Korean American family dynamics. I think. So I don't want to be too stereotypical because obviously each family is unique, but I think generally speaking, one of the common things I see are boundary issues. Uh, just having those boundaries not clear, you know, or or they're enmeshed, right? So they're like too close, you know, parents getting, I'll give an example, my mother thinking she could parent my kids and then trumping me and then me fighting her, that kind of dynamic when the kids were younger. So those unhealthy boundaries, but then a lot of things I see is also some rigid boundaries, like parents, immigrant parents being, I'm going to be this way. That's it. And this is the way you're going to be. And I, and I still see that. In fact, I'll tell you all, honestly, I said it like 
it, it might've been now it's, it's been a year, 2019 seems so long ago, but last year I had this epiphany moment uh, and it wasn't during a client session. I believe it was in some workshop. And I, I literally went, wait a second, why am I talking? Why am I talking to this group of students and it's 2019 and they're like living my life 20 some years ago. Like right? I had like changes. this, yeah, nothing changed. I was like sitting there going, wait a second. This is very odd. They're having the same issues at age 20 in 2019. than when I was 20, whatever, some years, many, many years ago that I was like, this is so weird, but we have immigrant parents all the time. So, I mean, it made sense, but I had to have it go, wait, I cannot believe I'm talking about the same issues, but along the lines of that, why I think that makes me or you effective Chung is that we have, we grew up that way. So I, re- I have that empathy for the youth because I grew up like that. So I understand that. But then I also tell the parents, Hey, you parents, I get you. Cause I'm a parent. So I understand your angle, but I also understand your kids. So that's usually what I say to kind of foster that therapeutic relationship. But another typical thing besides the, the boundaries, which is probably the biggest thing I see is because they will be intrusive. There's no boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, oh, how much money you make, you know, you know all that's the, these questions you're like, oh my gosh, right. They, that being Americanized too, you have that a little bit of like, wait, this is not something you should be asking me and I should tell you all this stuff, but they ask. And, and even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm very transparent sometimes is that I really want people to know that I work hard also dealing with my parents. We have a loving relationship, but occasionally I'll get triggered by something they'll say. And I'm like, this, this is reminding me when I was 10. You know, when they're talking to me over the phone, what are you feeding your kids? Like, like I'm, what I'm not doing is good enough, that kind of thing. So what I see a lot and also creating family dynamics is also that feeling of what I call the acculturative stressors, right? Guilt. There's so much guilt in there. If you don't do this, it's very filial piety oriented. I call it authoritarian, not authoritative, the balance went authoritarian, right? Um, now this is a typical Korean American family, like first generation and second generation, but second generation, which is me. And third generation look very different. And I'm still unpacking that, right? I'm still unpacking that because I'm living it. I think that's also really important because because what we have gone through as a uh, 1.5 or second generation, we have some kind of idea of what we want for our third generation, second generation child, children. But at the same time, there's going to be triggering moments and there's going to be kind of impulsive behaviors that you can't control that comes out. And I've had a lot of moms um, say that that's been something that feel very guilty about to their children, that the, the theme yes. of guilt everywhere. Um, yeah. And so that's been um, very, very difficult for a lot of moms. And I feel for them. So I get I think, that. And I, Yeah, Judy, I, I think it's fascinating because they're, what you're talking about is basically like survivalship bias, right? Like, I raised you just fine. So... And, and it's tricky for us because, and I'll call it out for what it is, like there's a little bit more expectation of um, respect commingled with obedience in our culture. And so when it comes to our parents or the grandparents who say like, you know, like you turned out fine and it's the attribution error that, you know, I don't want to. And again, this is not black or white. It's this giant gray area where it's both. But like, you know, did I turn out? fine because of you or despite you and it's really hard to have that conversation with our parents because at least for my parents they're very binary in their way they're thinking right like it's either i did everything right or i fucked up and if it's the latter 
then they yeah. go into this like you know like I chalmokiwaso right, which is really mm-hmm. wrong because for them I think the way they judge their lives because if they moved here or if they sacrificed like they all did like how we turned out is the measurement or the indicator of their success in life. And so it, it's super complicated. And I know that when you talk to other uh, non-Asian or non-immigrant folks, they're a little bit more aggressive of like, you know, you're, you're raising your own kid, you're your own parent, like shut it out and just do you do you. And that also is very toxic recommendation because, yo, like that's like family suicide. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you're this, you're almost like excommunicating yourself from your family when you say stupid stuff like that, because it, it's complex. Right. And I think it's been hard. And um, we, we talked about this many times where like, I'm sort of glad COVID happened because we're physically not allowed to see my parents as much. And so, so much, much more boundaries. Correct. Like, you have to have boundaries. boundaries. <laughs> right. And, and I it's think not, you're so right. true. It's so true. Right. And, and it's, yeah. and it's not like this. And, and so this is where I think it gets tricky. And I'm, I would love to get your take on this because it's a lot, it's a lot of micro moments that get us fed up to yell at our parents and be like, stop doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, so mm-hmm. from our parents' perspective, it's like, we're here because we love you. And like, why are you telling me that everything I'm doing is wrong? Right. But it's, it's hard because, I mean, it's been, I don't know, there's like a 30 some odd age gap between me and my son. So even just memory loss alone of what the hell parenting was like for them. (laughs) I always, I actually say it, you, you touch on so many things. I don't know why I like saying this word because we're Korean here. Chansori. I hear Chansori like once every other day from my mom. And sometimes I'm like, I would just love to hear. (laughs) No, I mean, but Chansori just, it it sounds bad because I've said it sometimes on the phone with her. I'm like, okay, I'm like, do you have to Chansori? And she's like, what? You know, but that's what it sounds like. It's literally, you, you start tuning it out and you're right, Jerry, you touched on the fact that I actually, what's triggering for me. And I'll, I'll share honestly, because I'm trying to parent third generation. They're all you know born and raised here. And technically I was born in Korea, by the way, but I came here when I was four months old. So very, very young, but I, the, what triggers me is when I'm, when we're discussing academics, mm-hmm. hello, that the biggest factor in the Korean American family, where I have heard some words come out of my mouth that do duplicate my moms or dads. Um, yeah. So you got a 90. Why wasn't it higher? <laughs> I mean, one time I said that and I went, what, what did I just say? Like, and my husband who I think he's actually 1.5. So you think he'd be more traditional than me. He's like, he just would like glare at me going, you just said, what, what did you just say to our kid? I'm like, what did I just say? You know? Cause I won't even know I said that I'm thinking. And then later, but here's the, here's the, here's the difference. I, I am aware later on of what I said and how I said it. So I will either either apologize, be like, okay, mommy, did, I didn't mean it like that. Great job. You got an A, right? My parents never would have said that, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not trying, I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying they never would have said that. So there's an awareness that at least I'm bringing to the table. As a I think that's, that's what I want to uh, convey to all these moms that are having a really hard time uh, and feeling guilty that it's, uh, it's one thing to do have those behaviors because you don't catch it, but then you can make it, you can correct it, right? Kids are uh, forgiving <laughs> um, and you can, you can go back and apologize or, you know, say that, said, you know, this was not what I meant. Uh, I think, I think that that piece is also really important because of course that piece has never happened in our our childhood a lot of times, right? Um, so parents are always right. Yeah. Uh, but but it is mm-hmm. a role modeling when you do apologize. It's okay for parents to make mistakes. Yeah, totally. 
I want to say that I want to say that this is really I'm going to say it the best way I can because I hope I make this point across. I actually tell parents to accept the fact that we have inherited some of the cultural imperfections of the Korean culture, unfortunately, because we are products of our parents, even though people want to deny exactly. that. But you have to admit that to be able to accept your identity or you go into an identity crisis because then you're actually saying, I hate everything about myself. I tell people that it's not unhealthy. It's not healthy to completely reject. I said, just let's just, I say the words of endure it. You know, this, I say I'm enduring it because I just still get triggered by certain things my mom will say. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is bad, you know, but the awareness, awareness and acceptance is key. That's how you address anxiety. So when I talk about anxiety in the family, I'm like, at least aware, the awareness that you see it, accept that you're feeling it, and then we can do something about it. Don't avoid, which is the typical Korean American way, right? So, or sorry, so not then, Korean American, Korean family. So then that's a gateway to, well, so if you can pick it out and you're sitting in the Thanksgiving dinner table and you notice it in, in vivo, what do you do? Can you actually get yourself out or what do you need to do to not get as triggered? I have worked really hard. My sister, who's younger than me, we both handle it two different ways. I will argue back first. And my sister will just shut down, right? You know, there's, you know, the stonewalling and the defensiveness, right? Of the apocalyptic uh, four horsemen of the apocalypse communication. I tend to be the one defensive, but however, this is how I've done it. I always tell people this. First of all, it takes time in your parenting journey. Instead of thinking you're going to be perfect because you still are a product of your parents. I have just come to realize, you know what? This is probably the empathy that I'm trying to, to get. I actually listen before I used to interrupt. Now I'm like waiting. Now, meanwhile, I'm probably biting my nails, you know, as she's finishing, my mom's finishing. I'm like, mm -hmm, yeah, keep going. Okay. And I'd be like, oh, and literally I used to argue, but now I choose not to. That sounds, this is a skill. Basically I have said, here's a skill. You can either choose to have a conflict by engaging or you engage by disengaging, you know, by saying, oh, I see. I'm not agreeing. I just listen. And just go, oh, I don't so. Then you just move on, right? Because, I, but they did, they, they just, I just said, yes. I didn't say, got it. You're so right, Emma. I'm going to listen to you. No, I actually clearly still follow with my actions, but I've just changed my my wording. But that has actually stopped her. You know that pattern of they'll keep chansoting if you ignore. You know that like, they'll keep, if you don't address their, validate them, they will keep talking till you validate them. So that's my way of validating and then being like, gotcha. Oh, that's good. Ah, I see. And then being like, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to say, I don't say anything, but then she's like, oh, okay, good. You heard me. Arata, we're done. You know, and it has stopped my bomb. So I'm actually learning from my sister when she stonewalls, I don't exactly completely shut down, but I will not engage, but I will engage to disengage. Am I making sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like I said, I have just developed that. Uh, strength. It takes thick skin. And again, it's, I validate her by just listening. It's kind of like listening to someone talking about your different political views. I'm just going to bring that in. That's the best example. You're like, oh my gosh, I have to sit and listen to this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ah, so that's why you want to vote for this person. Gotcha. Okay. But I, I do have to say while you're listening, I think you're boiling inside. <laughs> um, yeah. I just told you I'm biting all my nails down. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It's like daggers. And, and then sometimes I will say, um, it brings me back to like age eight when you don't feel good enough. That's another thing I bring up a culture of stressors. We 
feel like nothing we're doing is good enough or we have to like constantly prove ourselves, right? It's very tiring and you get burned out as a child. So that does come back, but this is what grounds me as a parent. And I think I tell this to parents. You are also modeling behavior to your Mm -hmm. kids, right? So it's just very important to show that you're confident in who you are in the way you're parenting. And I will, I will say, I just hold on to the fact that I'm like, oh, and they hear me. They clearly see me mad. Don't hide your anger, by the way. You should also express anger, right? So they see me annoyed and and I'm like this, you know, rolling my eyes. Sorry, you guys can't see me. You're hearing me, but I'm rolling my eyes, giving glares, looking at the kids going, oh my gosh, look at Harmony saying all this crazy stuff, right? But I don't say anything else. I'm not trying to spread the toxicity. I I hate saying toxicity. Actually, I don't like using that word actually, um, because I think how you project that, if you use the word toxic, you're almost you're also projecting that on there. So I tend to just say anxiety or unhealthy patterns, right? Because I think words are very powerful. So I try not to say toxicity, but it can be toxic. I'm just saying that. I'm not saying it's not toxic. I just try not to use those kind of words. But yes, no, I'm boiling over. I'm normal. You know, that is normal. I tell people, please feel. A lot of moms will go, yeah, I feel like I shouldn't get mad. I'm like, why not? Like mm-hmm. you should get mad. It, actually, it's very unhealthy. But that's the other thing. We don't see our parents showing emotions. Right. We, if we see them, we see them showing anger. We don't see right. them showing much else. I right? know. I, so, I tell my uh, my pa- par- uh, moms that it's okay because a lot of moms say, well, I don't want to cry in front of my, my children. And I'm like, please do cry. <laughs> right? Yes. I get that because I get it. Right? And I, But then kids also, the teenagers, they don't want to cry in front of their parents. I've seen my kids hold back. And, and I'll, and I'll just like, this is probably where my therapist training comes in. Otherwise I normally be like, why are you crying? You know, the typical Korean, why are you crying? Stop crying. I'm getting better at that. So I'm just like, okay, my son's about to cry because I made him cry because we're, you know, I'm, I'm mad at him, blah, blah, blah. So I just kind of just don't say anything, you know? And then he holds it in. But I feel like that is a trait that we all have to hold it in. But no, I've, my kids have seen me cry for sure. Jeannie, I think you bring up a good point. I don't, I don't want to. So it's not a lot of these expectations that we're talking about, right? The shoulds, um, that really, really terrible word of like comparing ourselves constantly to each other, um, our parents. A lot of that is also rooted in community, not just parents, right? Like, um, you know, you live in North Carolina, Jang's somewhere in the middle of Washington. Um, I'm I'm, I'm in Southern California, but like we're trying really hard not to go back to a very Korean suburb where I grew up because I think just the people that we surround ourselves with and the community that we, you know, engage with in person and virtually um, reinforces a lot of these, uh, well, I call them negative, right? Like stereotypes and expectations that our, our parents um, have raised us with because that's sort of the uh, the voice of the community, right? Like those are the unwritten rules. Um, I talk to some mentees of mine in high school and college now uh, who are growing up in these very Korean centric suburbs and like the way that they're being raised is very similar to the way I was raised. And here I'm thinking we've evolved over the last 20 years. Why haven't they? Right. And and so mm. like, how, it like talk to us through some challenges mm. and how you can, you know, even mitigate that short of like moving to Oklahoma, like, you know, because <laughs> I know it, it's hard because we want community. Right. And we want to raise like Korean conscious children with language and food and culture. So we want to live at least near some of these centers of, of Mm -hmm. community. But at the same time, like I, I find that, um, the the reinforcement of some of these, you know, measuring yourself and your self-worth by where you work, where you go to school, what car you drive, what handbag you carry, 
you know, what, what jacket you wear during the wintertime, all these like silly trivial things that don't actually mean anything. Um, like, yeah, those those continue to be reinforced. Right. So like it's and it's to me, it's not like, oh, your parents because it's the same thing. Like there's a lot of your moms in that world. And so like right. in in a cluster, <laughs> those seem to get reinforced. Like how, how what, what are some like let, let's say that you can't move. Right. Like but and, and let's say that. You, you have to be there. Like, what are some tips that you can share um, for us to better deal with sort of those pressures and distancing ourselves from that expectation? First of all, I love this question because this is something I see a lot, those pockets of wonderful Korean American communities, right? That they're, I would say they're powerful in the sense of not powerful, like literally just very strong, very engaging. There's a big part of them. So there's good things about them, but you're right. That is where I see stagnant. It's almost like they it's like they live in this cycle, repeated cycle of the culture. And it is very suffocating. That's, that's the word I can think of because that's what we came from in the DC area, right? First of all, I have great friends from there, so nothing against them. So here's what I would say, short of moving to Oklahoma or Iowa or Idaho or wherever Jung is, I'm just kidding. I suggest this. I think it's super important as the child or the parent and the parent to help the child child to teen, to diversify friendship. So I really believe that my kids, now we were brought, they were, they came to Raleigh, North Carolina young. We had no choice but to have white friends, you know, <laughs> I mean, black friends, right? We're literally in, um, just in the area that we're in. And I wanted them to have more Korean American friends. But then here's the thing. I just chose them. I asked them to look for friendships you know, if they were looking for Asian American friends um, in the certain places that they could look like in band and orchestra and all that stuff. Just, yes, I'm being stereotypical. So I would reverse that for those who are already in the Korean American communities. You have to be diverse to also be like uh, effective in society, right? I get very irritated when people talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and then their friends are all the same or they're, they just stick with Korean friends, right? And that is not promoting diversity, equity, inclusion. So I actually tell the kids, hey, make different friends. Have your Korean friends at either church, Korean school, if you're going to that, but really seek other friends. And in the college, I tell them, if you couldn't get out of that, I always say, hey, college is where you can really branch out. Here's my problem with some of the college kids I see, though. They still do the same thing. And then they're back in that cycle. Am I making sense? I don't know if you've seen that. So I've also said, hey, why do you have to join the Korean American Student Association? Why can't you join the Asian American Student Association or not join that or join some other group that has to do with chess or whatever hobby it is? You, it, I actually put it in the decision of the, the family first, the parents, the kids, and then the, when they're older to make those decisions to find those diverse activities where they can not avoid. I'm not nothing about avoiding your Korean culture, just getting outside of that and finding other friends. But nobody thinks like that. They, they No, you think that's a simple solution, but most parents are like, no, we go to this church. They have their, you know, this is the, I go, well, well parents, the, maybe you need to do that pushing, right? To find exactly. diverse friends. It's the comfort issue too, right? Because I think I fall into that category, um, you know, moving moving at 14. Like I, I really stuck to a lot of my uh, Korean American friends or Korean international friends um, in high school and college because- that's what I was very comfortable with. And it was like my safety net where I also, it was also because my family wasn't here. Right. Um, yes. But I think once uh, when you, when you do have that uh, very close rooted family 
life, then kids are more stable enough to uh, venture out uh, to different parts of the, uh, the the world that they see, so, and they can they they're okay and That's they're not point. as anxious uh, to uh, look at the new things that might not be as familiar to you. Yeah, so you brought up a good point where 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 I said it stems from the family or the parents really really kind of not uh, continuing that cycle of anxiety mm-hmm. that they might have grown up with. But again, here's where it's hard. We don't get to treat every Korean American family, you know? So as a whole, it's really difficult. And I'm going to be very honest with you. Korean Americans to me are the most difficult where they don't see the issues. And maybe I'm saying that because I'm Korean American. So I'm being hardest on my own race. I don't know. I just find that they tend to think everything's all okay. So they don't change as much harder. So that's why if anybody's hearing this, that's what I would recommend. Parents encourage you to, first of all, it's only going to better their exposure to life and adjustment, right? In college and work to, to work with diverse groups of people. It's, and, and then have different perspectives and it opens you up to a whole new ballgame. But again, parents also have to encourage that, right? Also in their friendship, but we don't, that's not always the case. So sometimes you see the kids want to do, to do that, not the parents. So then kids, I would say, if you're listening to this, then you can do that, make new friends or try to seek those different friends going, Hey, I really want to get to know somebody from here. And I don't know anything about him and I want to get to know him or her. I think one of the things that I did want to talk about is the COVID and family dynamics today a little bit because it's such a hard topic for a lot of uh, Korean American families, especially um, with the parents, um, the parent generation who may or may not be as um, um, strict about social distancing. I think... um, Part of, I think the part of the trigger for our generation is that when you're an immigrant family as a 1.5 or second generation child, when you were children, you were parentified. You are the translator. You are the um, people who lead your family when your parents couldn't speak English or you had to go through things. And then now um, they're older and we're older, but now we're trying to put that on our parents and they're not listening to us when it's really important to us. And that can be very triggering. Um, so are there ways to engage with our parents so that we can definitely come to an agreement in certain kind of um, safety rules? And it's interesting. So I'm going to answer that too far. You brought something very, you brought up something very interesting about the parentification because mm-hmm. I see that, but then I also see another generation of Korean Americans that were not parentified. They grew up in high achieving households where they're expected to go to Harvard, Yale. And I'm going to be honest, that's my side of the things, right? I maybe, maybe if I was parentified, I have a very different experience. So I see both. So I was just going to point that out, the diversity, see there's diversity in the Korean American family, right? So going back to the parentification, you're right. But I actually have found, so have you actually, I was going to reverse it to you. I've actually found that the clients that have grown up in that difficulty where they were almost the parent, they are having an easier time speaking to their parents about COVID, where the opposite, where you have the kids that were like told, you got to go to Harvard, Harvard, Yale, we'll do everything for you. You're going to be a lawyer, doctor, psychologist, whatever. And then they're the ones not listening to the parents. That's what I found. So Jung, I would love to hear your experience, but I have found those, those families coming to me going, oh my gosh, I mean, seriously, I'm a doctor. My dad's a doctor. Why do they not get it? But the parentified kids are like, yeah, no, I told my parents, no, this is the way it's going to be, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, interesting. So that's what I'm finding. Yeah, no, so I, I think, you know, 
Yeah. I think there's definitely truth to that because um, that dynamic has really uh, continued on where, you know, the parents do um, give kids a little bit of credit. But I think it's also part of, um, in general, I think the parents also can be um, more set in their ways. Um, and, and so, yes. you know, they're rigid and they're kind of like, okay, I'll listen to you. And then they, you know secretly. (laughs) Yeah. They secretly go to the Asian market, forget the mask. No, I think they're actually good about the mask, but I will share this. Then it all comes down to boundaries. And we had a, we, so I've had some certain issues with clients in my own family where parents wanted to see the grandkids, right. And they want us to be in the same household. Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming up or the holidays coming up. You're right. But this is where I would challenge if everything you, I say to my clients, if everything you're complaining to me about, and we've discussed and we're talking about instilling healthy boundaries. Here's your chance. Meaning prove me, prove to me that everything we're working on is this is the chance for you to actually say, Amma, Appa, or mom, dad, it's not healthy. We want to see you. We love you, but we will not see you until after COVID's over. Or maybe after January, we'll discuss it when you know that you're going to discuss it, but not really have them over still that kind of thing. Then that's because the kids will say the kids, when I say kids, adult kids, like 40 year olds, right? Going, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. My parents are mad at me. I'm like, so this is where we have to build some of your resilience here because you are 40 years old. You have your own family. And what stresses you out is you don't want to expose your parents. And then you also have kids. So you don't want all of this being, you know, the mutual causality. So I just said, I actually very, very much challenge the second generation here saying, I don't want to hear any more complaints about you, you, the boundaries and stuff. If you're not doing the work. That's what I'm trying to say. If you guys are listening to this, I'm saying you want to see change happen, then this is where you have to fight that guilt and going back to the child. You're not a child. You're 40 plus years old and you're raising kids, talking about the people I'm working with and myself and be able to fight that for the greater good of the family, which is knowing my parents won't be exposed or less exposure. And you know what? We'll all be less stressed because we're not feeling like we're COVID friendly. Does that make sense? We're not spreading COVID. I, I think you, you, your point about, you know, oh, what, oh, you know, my parents are mad at me. What do I do? Um, I think that's the biggest point where, you know, we want to please our parents and we want to be in a good relationship with parents. And it's very anxiety provoking when, you know, your parents are angry at you. How do I make it better right away? But um, uh, and so it takes a lot of strength to look long ahead and say, this is the work I'm putting in so that we can have better relationship in, you know, six months. <laughs> you know? It does. But then little things mm-hmm. can work. I always say, look at the, what, what's the end result you want? Cause I'm solution focused. Mm-hmm. So I say, I don't, people want to look at the big change. People want to mm-hmm. look at the fact that their parents will say, you're right. We won't come. Yeah. Look at a small change. How about this? How about the next time you come, you have a conversation, get on a FaceTime call show all your kids and be like, look, we can still really keep in touch and we can do this for you every day. How about we do that? But a lot of people just don't look at the small changes and want to go to the very end of the big change and then it stresses them out. So I'm always telling them one small tweak in your life could end up being that big change. So that's what I mean by being solution focused, being goal driven. It's almost like Mm -hmm. think business, go toward the little steps to get you there. So I've suggested people Skyping, even if it's taxing, do it every day for like 15 minutes where they see the kids and the kids are like showing them, look, I'm doing online learning. So they feel part of their life, you know? So there's very things we could do. We don't have, we just look at that. We just look at that big, by, by the way, if you look at problems and you, you focus on the problem, it magnifies, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to look at the solutions. What are the solutions that you can offer that will and help? When you- 
even when if you it's do wrong. offer it when you do offer it the balls in your court right because all your parents can say is yes or no right and your right. boundary yes and it, that's why that's why I challenge the people that say to me what do I do I'm so stressed out about my parents being upset with me I'm like this is where I need to step up everything we just discussed about boundaries is where you're going to be it'll take time and here's the other thing people don't like feeling anxious. Right, John? So think about the anxiety factor. It's so physiologically taxing. Who wants to feel anxiety? I don't. But part of that anxiety needs to be felt. So you're building that resilience. So it's not, you're not scared of feeling that. So you're like, you know what? I've been through this before. Okay. Now I know what to tell my parents because for the greater good of their life, I can do this. Oh, this is anxiety that I'm feeling. Got it. I've been through this before. I can do it. Does that make sense? People want to avoid that feeling. That's so much in our culture. So I'm saying, hey, this is where we can actually feel it, but we can get through it. Just manage our anxiety instead of avoiding that feeling and perpetuating unhealthy habits. This is great talk. A lot to unpack. I know. <laughs> it's therapeutic for me. Yeah. So, okay. Um, as we're getting closer to the ending, um, I want to uh, actually um, ask you a little bit of different question. Because you are um, a mom and a businesswoman and a professional, mom of four. Um, so, you know, with COVID, and, I mean, just in general, but also with COVID, like how um, have you been balancing work and home with kids? And if you have any tips for Korean American parents these days. So it has been interesting. I'm just going to point it out. We are living through a historic pandemic, period. Isn't that a big thing just to say? Mm-hmm. So we're in, going to be part of history. And that alone is really difficult. My kids, I have two kids in college. This is important because they're in different stages. I have one kid in high school, one kid in middle school. I always say, I feel sorry, actually, for the kids, who, for the parents who have kids in elementary school. I think they have a little bit tougher because they have to really oversee. Mm. I mean, kids don't even know how to mute and unmute. And I've heard parents come to me like in tears going, yeah, I have to sit next to my child to help them mute and unmute. And I'm working and I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, that's very difficult. But when you have older kids, they know how to do that stuff. Adults, by the way, don't even know how to unmute and mute sometimes (laughs) on the Zoom. So anyways, I do think this is a very difficult time. I just want to say that. However, So one of the things that I have found, if I'm going to talk about myself, is that I had time in the beginning of COVID with a college student and then my senior in high school, who is now a college student, time that I never probably will have. Meaning we were stuck at home, right? And you were mandated to stay home. And that never would have been the case ever where they were stuck at home. Probably for them, I don't think they loved it. Let's be honest. If I was their age... I would feel the same way, but I think I'm cooler than my parents were. So that's why I'm thinking, why? Why wouldn't you love hanging out with me and dad? But I have got to spend time with my kids that I I am sharing with you now that I'm so thankful. And I feel like I got closer to them and then they went off to college. Now I'm going to talk about the college students. I've been every day, I have to manage my anxiety because they are in college campuses. I don't know what COVID looks like. I hear they're doing great job with COVID restrictions. They've all had multiple COVID tests, by the way, because they have to, but it can be extremely stressful. And I'll share it with my perspective, having four kids and kids in college. I don't find a lot of parents who are in my same boat. So sometimes it's very lonely. So I wanted to point that out. Parenting can be very lonely, you know, even when you have friends, but if you have 
friends who are not in the same stages or don't understand, or also perpetuating anxiety for my own health. I have to also separate. So, cause I'm already anxious myself, but I think for families to deal with it, I think first of all, just admit that it is okay that this is anxiety ridden times and we're still in it. And I think parents don't want to admit that they like to have the skills right away, but I always tell skills are and techniques are there to help you manage your anxiety, not take it away. Anxiety is normal. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to live through a pandemic again. And this is a big deal. And so, and then if you're doing online learning as a huge amount of stress, by the way, who, which are you guys doing having kids with online learning? Yeah. It's hard, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think already we're also teachers or those do, or those parents who have really had to intervene. It has been very difficult. So I want to share that I'm in the same boat. I, I just feel like I have to delve deep sometimes to make sure that I'm managing my own anxiety because anxiety is contagious. I don't want to spread that to my kids. And the other part is I'm focusing on what I can control. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Anxiety makes you look at things you cannot control, which is a lot of things like COVID. What it going to, you know, if you're, if you're back in the hybrid learning, some kids are in school, you don't know if they're going to get exposed, but I think it's really important to say what I can control is the tone of my household or being able to control my anxiety and have time with my kids or making sure that they're okay or well-adjusted, or we have a fun family night here and there. There's a lot we can control. Just look at what that is. And also the times when you're not feeling stressed, people come to me and say, okay, I'm so stressed out. And that consumes them. I go, oh, well, when are you not stressed out? And then they're like, oh, you know, when I'm not stressed out, when we play poker games with the kid family or something, I'm like, oh, then I suggest you do more poker games with the family. I mean, you know what I mean? So I will just just reframe that question for for families to look at what they're already sounds, doing well to cope. It sounds like, you know, um, for, for you for sure, but I think for me as well, um, this time um, of pandemic and being staying home with kids kind of been a time to like introspectively look at what is really helpful for you and your family and kind of magnify that a little bit. Yes. Um, and, and I will say even being Korean American, <laughs> that value, I was like, are they getting enough education? I mean, that did come into my head going, are they being challenged enough? Should I add another course? I mean, I went through that a little bit. I let that go. And that might be where I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm going to go with the flow of COVID. I've told parents to do that. I go, have you heard that theme of like, uh, you know, that the whole beach Jerry lives spot in California. So think of the beach and, and riding the wave. The wave is anxiety. We look at the wave and you see different waves, right? You have to look at it to know what it looks like. And if you're surfing, you have to ride the wave to shore. Or if you're boogie boarding, if you know that it's like you're on your stomach. I tell parents so life is uncertain. So we have to be willing to feel uncomfortable and go with it and ride the wave a little bit to go to shore and see what it looks like. I just try to use that visual sometimes to not fight it. If we fight our anxiety it, it'll keep persisting. So I talk about that a lot of just kind of riding with it going, okay, so yeah, I'm anxious about today because I don't really know what online the day is going to look like with my kid, but let me just stay grounded in the moment. It's almost like being mindful, right? Mindfulness and practicing that because that's all we can control the here and now. This is a lot, but thank you for all your wisdom. The big takeaway I think is one that it's super complex. And so wherever you are in your process with your own kids or with your own parents, like there's no, um, the whole co point of this conversation and asking Gina to come and share her thoughts wasn't 
to tell you that you're doing anything wrong. Um, that's literally the opposite of what we want to do. Um, you know, there's three of us that are parents in different ways with three different experiences. So um, you you do you. We just hope to provide you with some perspective that um, you may not have had the ability to experience because we all live our own lives uniquely. Um, and also maybe to give you some hints based on the professional experiences of Jeannie and Jang to put into words what you may have been feeling, because I think a part of everything that we are going through, particularly in 2020, is this massive feeling that we are just so alone in whatever the hell we are feeling. And because of all the things that are related to shame, um, whether it is in our parent groups, amongst our friends, or even with our siblings, we don't talk about this shit, right? Because we're, we're afraid somebody's going to snitch. We're all afraid somebody's going to judge. And, you know, and so... We know that because we feel that, right? And so maybe just even listening to the various voices on this show or wherever you else get your information, like, don't feel ashamed. Like, you're doing fine, right? Like, um, and ask for help, right? Um, you can seek professional help. You can seek friend help. Um, but just ask for help. Um, and, and you don't have to get everything right. You don't have to get words right. Um, and, and and as I often do on this show, like, I'll, I'll talk to the dads, right? Like, Drop your macho, guys, right? Like, this is about raising your kids and fulfilling the commitment that you made to yourself and to your partner to do right. And so what's more important? You having to admit that you are wrong, you having to have a difficult conversation with your parents, or manning up, being the dad that you that your kids need you to be, and, and to be apologetic when you messed up and to learn new things and, you know, to read and to reach out and to just be uh, who they need you to be. Right. So, um, mm. you know, I'm not making a I blanket statement on all the dads out there. Um, but I know that particularly within our community, the, the silent, tough, you know, uh, macho dad complex still exists. And, and so, um, and those guys it probably does. aren't listening, but um, <laughs> if by chance you happen to be listening, maybe the wives or, are, or maybe the spouses are. Yeah, maybe. Right. Maybe if you got a brother or a, yeah, a brother or a cousin or a husband who needs to listen, tag tag yeah. them, right? But it, you brought it's, up a really good point. But, but yep. we just need to make sure that like we normalize talking about all of this. And if there's anything that we want to accomplish with you today, it's to let you know that it's okay to talk about this stuff, right? Um, because a lot like to boil down everything that we feel frustrated towards our parents is that we weren't allowed to talk about this stuff because our opinions weren't allowed to be voiced. And so it was just shut up and study hard and do as we, you know, be grateful for everything. And so, um, you know, and, and I think that changes the way we parent too, right? Um, yeah. You know, not just to, I, I catch myself yelling at my three-year-old, like, you know, being the dictator in the house, right? And I have to catch myself and be like, that's literally what I don't, that's what I resent about my childhood. And so like, why am I doing that again? And so it's a continual process. Will we ever get it perfect? No. No, but just you sharing this, Jerry, is huge. Like, that's what I keep telling us. I think people think that we should have it figured out as second generation or the fact that we learned from our first parents. I mean, our first immigrant parents were going to be different. But I keep telling them we can definitely break unhealthy patterns. But we're still a product of our family. So we can, we may continually have to continue to not fight it. It will get easier, but just be aware going, oh, I have a tendency to say, why didn't you get the A plus? I mean, I have said it several times. I'm just going to admit it to you. And I just w went, oh my God, but I don't really believe that. I just came out because maybe that's all I heard growing up. But now I say, no, I think it's really great that you did well. 
and I apologize, right? And and it is about just changing the habits and the language and and defining it for yourself. So I love what Jerry said about this is your family. You can you can redefine things, right? And and define things differently. Um, but you're right. Some people may not still hear things and still be stuck in those patterns. I also uh, want to add that self-compassion is something that we should all have as a parent and an immigrant and, you know, as adult ch- children of our uh, parents. Um, I think that's where we can admit that, well, maybe we're not perfect, that that's okay. Um, it's work in progress and um, I'm doing what I can um, and that is okay. And hopefully uh, podcasts like this are helpful. I really think so. Just talking about it. No, I think even having conversations more and more and having people on process, sorry, process and unlearn. That's the word I want to share a lot. We have to unlearn a lot of things. We're taught to learn our whole life and now we have to unlearn some things. But I also want to say it's super important. I love that self-compassion to look at what we're doing well. Our culture likes to look at what we're not doing right? Hey, you're not doing good enough. You're not, you're not doing this or you're not doing that. And that's what I heard growing up a lot. So I have now chosen to be solution focused where I'm like, but you are doing things well. Look, your kids are happy, right? Or they're coming to you when my kids actually said, and yes, they were exaggerating. Mommy, I think I'm depressed. I mean, (laughs) I first, I went, what? You know, first I was like, don't exaggerate because I made you do something that I'm like, oh, okay. So tell me more. But I meant, I never would have said something like that. And they actually kind of meant it because it was hard for them because they're in high school, right? You're all about friends. They're socially isolated. But I, to me, that was enough for me. I just went, okay, I'm doing a decent job if they said they could share that with me and be expressive and then actually share with me. I could never do that with my parents. Yeah. This is therapeutic right here. <laughs> we're having we're having our Look, own therapy every time we jump on a recording it's like well i'm you know I, i've gotten everything i thought i needed to out of this because <laughs> as we talk as we share as we listen as, as we learn um we're all moving forward right and and so um i don't think i would have ever imagined myself like hosting conversations like this but i think it's important right and um so you, you know in, instead of just continuing to bitch about what we don't have in the community like we just have to do it and also, like, I'm completely okay with me missing the com- mark on this, right? Like, is this going to be perfect? No, right? But, like, and then we, we've said this on the show too, right? Like, our parents are children of war. And we're talking about self-enlightenment in one generation. Like, that's hard. No, There's no textbook to go from, like, that poverty in Korea in the 60s, right? To, mm-hmm. like, you know, having your kids tell you they're depressed and, like, like encouraging them that conversation, like that's really, really a big jump. And so wherever you are in that process, like kudos to you and like every, you know, you should be proud of the way that um, we're all raising our kids. Um, But, you know, it's okay to learn. It's okay to say the way that we were raised was wrong. And so um, I appreciate you, Jeannie, for jumping on the show. Um, I know you do a lot of work in the community. Um, just so visible through the various projects and the shows that you host. Um, and so share with the audience and, um, I, I typically rattle off where people can find you, but I don't want to do your, um, audience disservice because you, you do a lot and then you really put in a lot of emotional labor into helping bring these important topics up into the community. So, um, Jeannie, share with us where we can find you on the internet to learn more about what you do and the things that you care about. 
That's so funny. This might be the Asian culture or the Korean culture where I'm like shy about promoting myself. No, it, that's weird. I still struggle with that. No, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and of course, social media. I, I, I do have a business Instagram, your change provider. Uh, you can find me on this podcast. I'm promoting this podcast. I love that you guys are doing this. And to me, I, the most, and so I would suggest those two. And of course my website, yourchangeprovider.com. But my favorite thing about the work I'm doing is being able to utilize the perils of our upbringing. Okay. I'm going to say that for the greater good of now, like changing families now. And I know John understands that. Right. And even meeting people like you, Jerry and Zhang, that I never would have in my work. So this is such a blessing. So thanks for having me. And I just hope that we continue having conversations like this, even outside the podcast, right? Start a movement, 2020, COVID, COVID-20. <laughs> well, thank you so much for this uh, really insightful uh, discussion we had. I'm hoping that we'll continue. Um, and I know that we're going to continue, but um, I hope that um, you give yourself a little bit of relaxation on this election day. <laughs> and yes. we'll... Um, we shall see. We'll, we will... Um, think about what to do during our holiday times as well. Yeah. Thanks again, everybody. Um, Thank you. And, you know, Jeannie will be a part of our community for a long time to come. So um, please engage. There's no, there's no bad question. There's no bad topic. Um, And, and so please, please, please do not feel ashamed. Please do reach out. We really do mean it. Um, You know, you can find ways to contact us in the show notes or however you can find us online. Um, You know, uh, we'd be happy to chat. Um, I, I, we probably share this on many different forums, but um, Jang and I became friends because she followed my other podcast on Instagram. And then we talked and she came on the show and like said, hey, we should talk about this because it's super important. And so, you know, uh, a little bit of, you know, hey, I'm just going to message somebody because I respect the work that they do can lead to a lot of cool opportunities to change the narrative, a lot of different things in your life. So please do so. Um, I mean it. Reach out. Um and then so uh, wish you well and wish everybody health and safety foremost um, and to safe and sane family situations throughout your holidays. And um, just one final reminder, it's OK to say no to your parents, um, yes. especially if you don't feel safe. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting and be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple and share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.